On today's episode of Where We Are, we talked to Colin Hansen, the author of the new biography on Timothy Keller. You're listening to Where We Are. Hello, hello, you're listening to Where We Are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And uh, we have a great episode. Uh, sorry, it's a bit delayed, but uh, we knew we wanted to do this episode with Colin Hansen and uh, had, to, had to get the date right. Uh, and so we're happy to bring this episode to you today and then we'll have another episode for you uh this this weekend so we'll be all we'll be all caught up but uh melissa i've been excited for this biography for uh quite some time we've known colin Mm -hmm. as we talk about we've known colin for for several years for for, uh yeah for uh almost a decade now for me and for for you about seven years uh and just think the world of him and I like Tim Keller, too, a great deal. So it's a good combination. But, Melissa, do you want to tell our guests about a little bit more about Colin before we uh, before we uh, jump into the interview? Yeah, so Colin is the Vice President for Content and Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition, as well as Executive Director of the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. We the actually, new, the we new actually talk about, Center, yeah. about the center at the end of the episode, so make sure you stick stick with it. Um, he hosts the Gospel Bound podcast and has written and contributed to a lot of books most recently. And what we will talk about, the book, Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. And he's also authored Rediscovered Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. He has published in the New York Times, Washington Post, and he's offered commentary at places like CNN, Fox News, NPR, and more. And he edited Our Secular Age, 10 Years of Reading and Applying Charles Taylor, and the New City Catechism Devotional, amongst other books. He is a member of Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and he is an adjunct professor at Beeson Divinity School, where he also co-chairs the advisory board. So um, that's quite the resume. Uh, and this con- quite the resume. And this conversation was so good, and he helps us to deep dive a bit on this this biography about about Pastor Keller, and um, you know, gives us a couple of surprises. I mean, a yes. bunch of things, bunch of oh, things, yeah. bunch of things that I I didn't know. He delivered with the juice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we think that um, y'all will really enjoy it. We know that we have plenty of listeners who are big fans of of Tim Keller. So. And regard, regardless, I mean, one thing that really comes across is uh, whether you're a, a you know quote unquote fan of 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 Keller, whether you're Presbyterian, whether you're evangelical, whatever. Uh, Tim Keller is someone who had a significant influence and continues to have a significant influence on late twentieth century, twenty first century American life. So. Just as a like historical matter, I think this biography is going to be uh, a, a significant contribution. Uh, and then, just as a Christian, I'm really interested to read more deeply about some of the influences that shaped shaped him. So, uh, here's the interview with Colin Hansen on the new biography, Timothy Keller: His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. 
Colin Hansen, so glad to have you on Where We Are. Thanks for being with us. Oh, I am excited about this. Thanks, guys. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, we we were just before we uh, you know hit hit record. We were talking. Uh, we've known each other for quite some time, including seven years ago. We were in Israel together, uh, which is just fun to think amazing. about. It was a lifetime ago. Yeah, I saw a photo. Uh, I, I won't name her uh, here, but we had uh, uh, someone else who was on that trip uh, had her. Uh, her 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 baby her son yes with them, and it was just jarring to see the photo <laughs> of the baby and be like well, that was seven years ago um but a lot a lot has happened uh, over, the, over the last seven years uh, one uh one thing that's developed that we're really excited to talk uh, with uh with you uh about today is uh, you have uh, authored a biography of Tim Keller. Uh, True. And, uh, I think where I'd love to start is uh, how did this come about? Mm-hmm. How did you yeah. decide to, to 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 write this book? And and what was the what was the process of even sort of deciding to do it? Mm-hmm. What did that look like? Well, uh, the idea went back to. May of 2020, and many of us will remember that time. It was yes. when it was sort of like, oh, a couple weeks, six weeks. You know, we remember that for the for the lockdowns yeah. from COVID. Well, May of 2020 is also when Tim got his uh, diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Right. And um, so in the course of that, I had been essentially begging people for years to write a biography of Tim Keller. And then it just sort of struck me, wait a minute, we could lose him. And then I thought, well, somebody has got to, to write this. And, and thankfully the the publisher is Ondervan reflective. Mm -hmm. They reached out to Tim and they made a recommendation of, we'd like to do this book. Uh, Here's what we think it should be like. It's not, quite a traditional biography because you're still around and we don't have, we don't have the full story yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then third, we would like you to consider Colin to, to writing it. Mm-hmm. And then thankfully Tim had, had agreed. And then they invited me then to, to do that. Cause my thought was, I just want somebody to do the book mm-hmm. yeah. and I don't care if it's me or anybody else, but here's, if I were doing it, this is what I would do. Knowing Tim he does not like to talk about himself. He likes yeah. to talk about other people and what he's yeah. reading. <laughs> hey, yes, so, yes, this is true. Yeah. yeah, so you guys know. So that so that was essentially how it happened. And you know, I think what I'm if you're gonna work if you're close with somebody personally and professionally, like like we are, um you, you kind of you gotta be up front and gotta be clear about mm-hmm. that from the beginning. And one of the major issues there is that you have to know what the person is willing to let you write about. Now, that was a little bit easier in this case because mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't writing about everything, writing about the yeah, influences. Sure. So I'm not trying to tell the full story of everything that happened in the church and every controversy and everything with their family. I wasn't trying to do that, mm-hmm. um, but still, I think there was it was interesting to go through the process just to kind of think. Um, I mean, the people that I talked to just they've never talked before uh, with anybody about Tim from Tim's sister to the best friend in their, 
wedding to the the friends who came to Christ um, early on in their in their ministry. So that's kind of I mean I give it a long answer, but that's how it kind of came about, and that's the particular character uh, of the book. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Um, I mean, a lot of the questions I want to ask you. I mean, I guess this is sort of the the the, the top line, uh, but you know how how early on in his studies in his career, in his ministry, it kind of, as you talked to somebody who knew him, how, what was it, was it clear that Tim Keller was Tim Keller at Gordon Conwell? You know, yeah. was it, was it clear that Tim Keller was Tim Keller when he was knocking on doors in New York no. city? Um, uh, uh, well, yeah. yeah. What was your, I love that question. It's very perceptive. And, the answer I'll give it, it has to be multifaceted. Yes, I think if you met Tim Keller in college or in seminary, I think you would recognize, except for the whole hair thing, um, I think you would I think you would recognize the same person. I think you'd recognize the intelligence, the thoughtfulness, the insight. And I'll tell you the, the story at Gordon Conwell, got this from Tim McCarthy's um, really close friend, Louise Midwood. She was there with her uh, late husband, and then also with Tim and Kathy. And um, and she said, after class, we would go back and we'd go to Tim's dorm room and he would redo the lecture just a little bit different with his own spin mm-hmm. and his own insight. And so you could see from that very beginning, he mm-hmm. was exactly what we would expect of Tim Keller. He's teaching you about C.S. Lewis. He's teaching you about Jonathan Edwards. He's teaching you about whatever, but it's always his you know, you don't realize how much yeah. of himself and his own insight that he's putting in there. So in that level, yes. Yeah. At another level, absolutely not. And <laughs> uh, the I love this little story from, from Bruce Henderson, best man at their wedding. Wedding was performed by R.C. Sproul. I love this. <laughs> I love, exactly. So I love I love this story. So um, I'm talking to Bruce and I'm saying, what did you think about Tim and Kathy after Gordon Conwell going to Hopewell, Virginia? Just total culture shift. Yeah. For them. A couple of yeah, yeah. And I said, what did you, you know, what did you think about that? And he said, well, they must've been desperate. And mm-hmm. I said, I mean, yeah, they must've been, I mean, they were, they were studying, Tim and Kathy were studying there for the civil service exam uh, for the postal service. I mean, yeah, they must've been desperate. And he said, no, Colin, I mean, the church must have been desperate for them. <laughs> and he says they would not have been impressive. <laughs> and, uh, it, and, it, and that was a major theme of their lives. Tim is a trumpet player and a drum major in the marching band. And Kathy's the school newspaper editor. And they're just, just kind of nerdy. I mean, they're, they're just not the students who stand out. They're not the alpha leaders that the professors and people like R.C. Sproul were drawn to. So in that level, no, you really wouldn't have recognized them because you, you could not have seen them having that kind of, of just sort of success in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, Melissa, I'm going to ask one more question. Um, I can see you're champing in the bit right there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I just want to step, step back. Uh, this is an impossible uh, question to answer, well, like but I'm interested yeah. in how you'll answer it, which is uh, who who is Tim Keller? 
Yeah, it, it, you know, so uh, um, many of our listeners will be familiar with Tim, although some may be familiar with him through sort of one, you know, maybe his books, but not be familiar with his uh, uh, with 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 Redeemer, or uh, maybe familiar with his public lectures, but not um, not other aspects of of uh, his his ministry and sort of public presence. No. Not to mention who he is as a man, and so c- kind of. Um, uh, who who is, who is uh, Tim Keller? Why should uh, why is he of public interest? Yeah. Well, it's a it's a it's a good question to ask a journalist um, because we have to do morbid things like imagine obituaries, right? Yeah, um, and you have to write them ahead of time, and and so in an obituary, you're you basically have a you have a sentence to explain why they should care about somebody. And I think in a sentence, Tim Keller is one of the most significant Christian leaders in the world of the late 20th and early 21st century and prime centuries, and primarily due to his work in engaging evangelicals in city centers around the world. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's the that's the short way to put it. And as Tim will be very clear to point out, it's not that there wasn't evangelical activity in urban areas in the 1970s and 1980s. Of course there were, especially among non-white populations Mm -hmm. and in New York talking about the boroughs. But when you consider that in the early 1900s, New York city was still considered the evangelical capital of America. And uh, you think about places like the American Bible Society, you go back, the largest revival in American history, 1857-58, started um, in New York City. Think about all the different evangelistic events. Billy Graham came 100 years after that event in New York City to mark that occasion. It was his most famous evangelistic event of all time. That was not the case in the 1970s because of the political and racial upheaval in 1980s. And so going to New York at that now, or D.C., or Boston, or any number of other cities, and certainly global cities, um, it was a totally different story. We're saying that literally in Manhattan, as I consistently talked to people who were Christians, they would say two things to me. That They said, number one, we felt like we we're the only Christians in all of Manhattan. Now, especially Protestant evangelical. Clearly, you've got sure, some Catholic yeah, yeah. population and whatnot there. But the second mm-hmm. thing was that they said... There were literally four churches that Mm. you would go to in all of Manhattan. And on top of that, they did not really feel much like New York. They felt like they could have been located somewhere else, but they didn't feel authentically New York. So Mm -hmm. so I basically, Mm. I I say in a nutshell that at age 35, before he went to Westminster Seminary, Tim Keller had no experience with mercy ministry, urban ministry, or global ministry. And those three things are basically what came to they're the things that made him him. That's his academic yeah. work, mercy ministry, his um, you know, city ministry in New York and specifically, and then global, his global church planting, city city uh, city center outreach through uh, Redeemer City to City. So, another another way to put it, Michael, is that um, he's essentially the closest we have in that in his generation to John Stott in his previous generation. I think they have a tremendous number of similarities between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Melissa. Well, to partly off of what you just said, how did 
how did Tim transition from somebody who those things were in his wheelhouse to, you know, becoming this person where he's known for these various things? Well, it's pretty typical for Tim that Kathy was first in almost everything. So she was, she had experience, I think in seminary in a, working in, in inner city Philadelphia, if I remember Mm. correctly. Um, The global part, Kathy was, one of the last people that C.S. Lewis ever wrote to. Yeah. Um, so Kathy then, even as a teenager, young teenager, I think 15, went to Ox, I mean, went to the kilns, actually met with Lewis's brother, because, you know, um, he had, had died in 63. Yeah. And uh, went and visited him, visited the house, hung out, later made a joke to Douglas Gresham that if his mother hadn't married C.S. Lewis, that she would have given her a run for her money. I mean, just crazy stuff in there. So she had that global perspective. She had the city perspective. And then um, the mercy ministry developed largely through his, his demon doctor ministry study and studying reformed ministries and in, in, um, in Protestant um, yeah, post-reformation period anyway. But yeah, that's, I, a lot of it's through Kathy. If you take a step back, mm-hmm. Kathy was the first one to become to embrace Reformed theology. Kathy's the one who introduces him to the Chronicles of Narnia series. But Kathy's typically at that age and stage. She's the one who's kind of bringing him along um, and just introducing him to different stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I the other basic answer to that question is that Tim is, and you would know this if you knew him as a three-year-old, he started reading at three. Um, and we're not talking, he had an extremely over-the-top driven mother, Italian Catholic mother. Um, but um, but there wasn't anything particularly special necessarily about their household, but Tim was reading on his own by three and was, he is just a lifelong learner. You guys know this. Mm-hmm. Like yes. Even now, mm-hmm. who knows how much time he's had, what, how's he spent his time? reading books <laughs> just he keeps learning just he's a lifelong learner so that i mean how do you get that way he keeps growing yeah, yeah. Um, that's how it happens he never never stopped developing yeah um i i mean so right so there's been and we don't need to get too deep into this but you know there, there was a bit of sort of online uh de- debate suggesting that um you know tim uh Tim, you know, had it easy in New York, and and wouldn't possibly wouldn't possibly <laughs> understand the the negative culture that evangelicals in I don't know Kansas oh, you went there. Don't right get now. me started on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but so I, I raise that not to sort of, but it is, and you know, so um, I was two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Uh, there was the big debate around in New York about whether churches should have access to yeah, public schools. That. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, for, for on the weekend for services, and, and mm-hmm. there had to be a, a sort of cross-denominational sort of pushback. But it, it, sort of the antagonism uh, in New York, or, or maybe maybe just uh, however you want to phrase it, sort of how, how did he build oh. an evangelical ministry in New York City that uh, not only sort of was successful in a self-contained way, um, but is something that reached 
out beyond sort of traditional evangelical circles and not only reached the city, but, but reached not, and again, like not just the world, but um, I mean, just aside, it, it would be amazing to me when I was at the white house, the number of people who would ask about Tim, um, mm-hmm. the journalists, uh, uh, elected officials who um, you would not have identified as being particularly like, um, you know, reading Christian Christian uh, uh, sort of thought leadership books all the time, but they knew Tim. What did? How was he able to do that? I've heard these stories of when he was at, at the forefront of his ministry in New York that he sort of did these door to door. I mean, he just yeah. uh, collected and amassed incredible information about. I mean, the market, if, if you want to use that those terms. But but how how did he build an evangelical ministry? In, in New York. Yeah. Well, I mean, that could be a really long, fun discussion. Yeah, sure. Let me let me see how to summarize that. Um, a few different things, but one of them is that he, I don't think he would have, if you had wound back the clock 10 years, I don't think it would have worked. So New York changed a lot in the 1980s, which is why I situate the book against the backdrop of the famous movie Wall Street, against Tom Wolfe, Bonfire of the Vanities, against Wolf of Wall Street. All of that is written right before Tim goes. So, mm-hmm. so the political, and Tim and Kathy go there with their boys, the political situation in New York dramatically changes, and it's the rise of the yuppies. Um, yeah. This is Reagan administration, Bush administration, for Bush first administration years. Um, and then, of course, into the 90s, you have this epic rise of New York. You've got the combination of Giuliani. But, of course, most of us, if we weren't paying attention to the politics necessarily, we're watching Letterman, Friends, Seinfeld, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So at one level, it worked because New York was changing. Yeah, um, yeah, and way more people moving in, especially. Um, I mean, as as my friend uh, who pastors in New York often will put it, he'll say, "Yeah, I, I live in New York City," as in I live in the you, um, I live in the uh, rom com Upper West Side. Yeah, yeah right. Meg, yeah, Meg yeah. Ryan's Upper West Side. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Um, so you've got mail, and so that mm-hmm. I mean, you really can see that that changed a lot. And and the second thing I'd add on top of that is that. Uh, Tim is a, he doesn't agree with everything that Leslie Newbegin says, but the basic premise that the mission, the West needs a missionary encounter and essentially bringing a lot of the missiology of the rest of the world, contextualization, indigenization, all those languages, that wasn't commonplace in the United States. So the idea in the 1970s and in the 1980s, so the idea that we would have a church in New York where number one, everyone would be taught to love the city. Yeah. That was a novel concept to evangelicals in New York at the time. Like, oh, we'd love the city. We wouldn't like just talk about how much we hate living here and how we have no. So they they would they would um they'd have all night prayer meetings during the first Gulf War. Um they would they believed that and I'm I'm not joking, they're like the reason crime went down in the 1990s is because we prayed about it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. to tell them that they're wrong about that. So they yeah. loved the city. They were there. Um, it was a, it was a church that felt like New York. It quoted the poets, you know, and, and um, yeah, prophets yeah, yeah. of New York, but was always rooted in scripture as well. And then a third thing I'd say 
is that Tim made a missiological decision in New York to say that we're not going to emphasize all the ways that we're different from other Christians. We're going to emphasize the ways that we're different from non-Christians. And I think that created a kind of ecumenical flavor that made yeah. a big difference um, in the city and allowed a lot of people to be interested in what Tim had to say and what the church was preaching, who might have had a little bit of resistance um, otherwise. Yeah, no, that's super powerful, Colin. Can you can you talk about? I mean, we talked a little bit about Tim as pastor. Can we? Can, can you reflect a bit on Tim as sort of national, international? Yeah thought leader, reason for God, yeah. uh, uh, some of the mm -hmm. sort of big stages that he had. Um, I, I think it's, it is fair to say one of the biggest sort of intellectual theological gifts he he's given to the church is this sort of, uh, city missions mm -hmm. work. What do you think has been his, his signature sort of contribution, uh, to, to, to the public? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's fascinating is that 9-11 uh, put a pretty big spotlight on Redeemer, yeah. as you'd imagine. Right. Um, the church was already large, but it got even larger, and there was so much attention about the attacks and, and about Christians who were there. And so, and then in that kind of aftermath period, um, you did see a, a good bit of attention. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that that Tim preached the downtown five-year memorial service with President Bush. Um, so, I mean, it's clearly he was, he was well-known then, but even then, you're still several years before he publishes his first two best-selling books. And only yeah. then does the, the things really take off. And I tried to situate that ministry against the backdrop of a lot of the... <clears throat> pushback against the disintegration of the of the second Bush, Bush administration, second term. Yeah, yeah. And so by that point, the kind of the values voters 2004 election, which is still the last time the Republicans have won a popular vote. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of there, he was kind of a, a central figure of trying to push back against the rise of the new atheists. Yes, and things like right. that. So that's the context there. But but I'm going to say something controversial just for you guys on this podcast. Fantastic. I think it, I think it, I think it fits you guys pretty well here. I think Tim Keller was perfectly suited as a leader, as an evangelical leader for the first administration Obama era. Yeah. Um. If if you're like me and you subscribe to the kind of perspective of the four Americas um, that you've seen through the Atlantic and some of those publications, yeah. Tim perfectly fits the first Obama administration, quote unquote, smart America approach. Right. Uh -huh. yeah. um, more or less like we're going to dialogue, we're going to reason. There's an upward mobility. There's a sort of learning class, kind of like Richard Florida's. You know, yeah. like smart America, yeah. everybody's moving to cities. It's all about the information workers, that kind of thing. And so I think that's like the Lord seemed to really suit his giftings and his experience and his insights for that kind of time. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying it wouldn't have applied to any other time, but I would say that moment 
changed, as you guys know better than I do, after 2012 yep, um, yeah. or during 2012. And then it really changed after 2016. And it yeah. feels like a few lifetimes ago um, yeah. by that point. And it doesn't mean he doesn't still have insight, but now <laughs> you just have such a fractional dynamic that it's hard for him to get a hearing um, on that sort of left of center smart America. At the same time, the quote unquote real America um, of Palin and Trump and whatnot. I mean, they're just, those are the folks that are interviewing me who are furious that he's a registered Democrat. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it just doesn't seem possible to them that that would be the case. And I try to say something like, well, you know, Billy Graham was a registered Democrat too, but it doesn't seem to, you know, kind of land with people. But, um, so again, I, I'm saying that just for you guys, cause you will uniquely yeah. relate to that and understand that. But I think that's part of your answer. I mean, the answer, Michael, is that that was a particular time and place, and that was when he became that global type uh, leader. Right. Yeah. I can see that argument for sure. And we're talking about the the four Americas, and it's an Atlanta Atlantic article. Well, by, and then it was a book by George Packer. By George Packer. Yeah, okay. So for anybody who wants to go look yeah. it up, it's George Packer. Yeah, I knew you guys would know, but I uh, yeah, thank you for giving the context in there. So mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, what? Uh, let me round that out it sort of shows that now there's this battle between smart America and just America. It's kind of like the yeah. millennials versus Gen Z. And so the left is fragmented and then there's real America versus, Oh, I can't remember what the other one is. It's kind of like national review America, like traditional concern, like Reaganite conservative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and that, and they don't get along. There's like a populist slash middle-class dynamic yeah, yes. there. Um, there. So it's just sort of, you've seen that fracturing from a basic, um, just a splintering on both sides. And so now it's kind of, kind of like it's hard for anybody to find their foot. I mean, we just, bottom line, there is a, <laughs> just doing this because it's you guys, um, there's a reason <laughs> we still have not elected a president except who was famous before the internet. Right. Before smartphones. There's a reason we haven't done yeah. that because yeah. everybody else is coming up in a fragmented world, can't get traction across the various factions. This is why we yeah. have presidents in their late seventies into their eighties, because we just, we don't have any unifying figures anymore. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm getting at with, with Tim as yeah. well. So he's got a sure. lot of broad based appeal, but he's not like a hardcore fractional figure. And a lot of the people who have emerged since then are really deliberately divisive figures. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, Colin, I, I, I saw it. I, I think it's exactly right. I, I think uh -huh. I have a, a few other questions for you. I, I do want to, I do want to ask you, so we've sort of talked about Tim Keller, the pastor, Tim Keller, the thought leader. I want to ask you about just Tim Keller, the man, mm -hmm. but before mm -hmm. I do that, um, uh, I, I it, Tim is is a, a a friend has become a friend and um uh is is in every experience I've had with him is just the 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 real deal um yeah uh, my introduction to him was uh, to your point uh, he was asked to uh deliver a prayer at the White House for the president's Easter prayer breakfast. And, uh, it was, it was my, my job to help organize uh, portions of that breakfast. And I was 21, 22 mm -hmm. years old. <laughs> Amazing. And I'd read a great deal of what Tim had, had, had written anytime I was in New York, I, I worshiped at Redeemer, but I didn't know him. And all of a sudden I was 
emailing him and uh, I was asked to find out what scripture he was going to. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. It wasn't a prayer. It was a scripture reading for, for the Easter prayer breakfast. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. I was just terrified to send Tim Keller. Who, who am I to send Tim Keller some potential scriptures he might want to uh, 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 use? Um, and uh, I send this email just terrified. And I get an email back from Tim half hour later uh, saying, I, I think the first passage you chose from Corinthians is perfect. I'll use that. And there was something about the humility of that, something about the fact that I think he probably sniffed a bit of like um, uh, eager to please and like sort of <laughs> sort of nervousness on on me, and it was just such like a a personal uh, gift that uh, uh, is is not always not always common. People don't always react to to, to that sort of thing as a, uh, as a um, uh, it's such a in such a humble way. So. Um, yeah. that's, that's how I met Tim. It's, that was gosh, 13, 14 years ago. Uh-huh. Would love to I have a few other questions to ask you sort of yeah. related to Tim, but not the book yeah. so much, but the last sort of book question I have for you is what kind of man is, yeah. is Tim from, from all the conversations you've, you've had and, and, and what you've written in this book. I love, um, uh, Catherine, Catherine Allsdorf was a, a big help. You guys know Catherine. And sure. She was a big help to the book. And I interviewed a bunch of the early Redeemer Presbyterian Church members. And I had um, I just loved this experience. I was she would be she'd be crying, talking about how much Tim had meant to her and how much he'd he'd shown her about God and and uh and then she'd see me writing that down and then she'd look at me and she'd be like now don't make him out to be a saint. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. all these different things, and we <laughs> were upset at him, and he really had to listen to us, and you know. <clears throat> and then, yeah. and then Tim would come back, and he'd say, "Yeah, I'm a pretty bad leader." And I, I was like, "Tim, you're definitely not a bad leader, but I can attest you're a pretty bad manager." <laughs> <laughs> and um. You know, when you're working closely with somebody on a book like this, it's not always clear what you should say, what you should not say. And if you want to know, there are a lot of ways that Tim could have encouraged, pressured me (laughs) to write the story a different way other than what it was. And he didn't do that. Kathy didn't do that. Um, That tells you what you need to know that that helped a lot i I learned from his assistant craig ellis early on in the interviews he said um you know that the people close to tim they love him they don't idolize him yeah Yeah. and and i think we we often have a kind of reverse attitude that so many leaders will insulate them with people who can't disagree with them about anything can't challenge them and you you have this cult of of hero worship that develops, and that's just not the case yeah. around Tim. I mean, there's lots of us who, from a distance, just 
think the world of him and so appreciative of him. And the people who know him do too, but in the sense of, but they know him as the full person. It's just not a, he's not trying to pose. And and I think that's one other thing. There's no halo. Yeah. No, yeah, no it's a, just, and a, just a, a shining light, a spotlight on him when he, when he walks no, in the room. No, and yeah, you don't, yeah. um, he doesn't suddenly, he doesn't suddenly change. Um, and so I can I can always know. I mean, <laughs> I probably shouldn't share this little anecdote, but every single time Tim calls me, he always makes he always insults me in some way. <laughs> I think it's his love language is insult. <laughs> and and you know he's like looking at a picture of my son holding the book, and he's like, Colin, that picture of your son holding the book, he looks just like you. Why would you do that to someone? Yeah, I was like that. Yeah, I was like, I, you know, he doesn't mean it. You know, like he's just joking with you. But like, that's just he's just he's just always the same in that sense. And you know, I have I have never heard him criticize another human being. Hmm. That is amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you consider all that, all that happened. I mean, he doesn't like to be criticized. He definitely gets frustrated with that. But even then, he's sort of like, "Oh, let me just explain what's happening here." And you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so that's just that's just yeah. what he's like. I'm, I'm just, I'm just grateful for him, and hope he's around for a lot longer because I'll, yes. I'll miss him when he's gone. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, my, I mean, my last question is. Was there, you know, at any time, were you surprised by any by anything, anyone, any story while writing yeah. this? Because I, I know that you know Tim, but did anything yeah. surprise you? Well, I think I think people are going to learn a lot in this book. Um, I think they're going to be pretty surprised uh, by some stuff. Not not negatively necessarily, but just mm-hmm. yeah. I think they'll realize how little Tim talks about himself because all mm. of a sudden they'll say, "Oh." I didn't realize I didn't know anything about that. So the one thing that that stands out by far, um, and I think is, I don't know, maybe the most important contribution of the book, we'll see. But um, uh, Tim has not talked much about his younger brother. And um, uh, so I talked extensively with his younger sister. She's in the middle of them. And gave she gave me amazing insight on on Tim on the family and she adores her older brother so that's yeah. that was really fun um but billy died in 1998 and mm. he died of aids and mm. for most of his adult life was uh, practicing and uh, practicing in gay I mean practicing homosexuals so um that um story is not one that a lot of people know was a very sensitive issue for Tim because he feared that talking about his brother would have the opposite effect of in, of what it was intended. It would make people right. feel like he was exploiting his yeah, brother. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think that when people go into that hospice, you know, with in the book, when they go into that hospice room with his brother who was supposed to die quickly, but lived for months longer than people expected when they, when they think it, when they think about his parents at his bed, singing to him um, day after day after day before he died, they think about the pastors who came to visit him as well mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and were there with him when his friends had abandoned him. 
And then most importantly, I think for the book, and I'll leave a little bit of mystery here. Um, when they think about Tim having preached his younger brother's funeral, and I like to just kind of tease it this way and say, what do you think Tim <laughs> Keller would have preached at his younger brother's funeral? What message, yes. what passage would he preach? And I think once people see that chapter, the light bulb is going to go off and they'll say, of course, I should have known that's exactly what he preached. But um, mm. uh, that was the biggest surprise. And I got to give mm. a big old shout out to our friend Craig Ellis for that, because I, naturally I said, Tim, you must have preached your younger brother's funeral. Yeah, I did. There must be a recording somewhere. Sure. Where is that <laughs> recording? I have no idea. <laughs> but Craig, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two days later, a day later, Craig says, I got the notes right here. Well, Amazing. I don't think anybody's. I don't think everybody's ever seen those before yeah. Um, yeah. that I'm that I'm wow. aware of. So, um, yeah, that was um, that was a big big deal. I'll just give people a hint. It's just about the most famous stuff that Tim has ever said. It's close to his own autobiography in the sense of just the power of transforming power of grace. But it's yeah. ten years before it would be published yeah. for a broader public. Yeah. Mm. Hey, we just want to give you an opportunity. Uh, you know, you're you're not just uh, an author. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gospel Coalition just uh, a week or two ago, uh, you announced the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. Yeah. Uh, talk a bit about sort of where TGC is, about yeah. the mission of of the Keller Center and how that fits into sort of this, this, uh, the, 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 the scene here. And, uh, we just love to hear more about the work you're up to. Well, I think the most encouraging thing since that report, Michael has been how many people like yourself have, have reached out and been like, you know, we need to, we need to work together on this. Like, it just seems like a lot of us are doing, are sensing the need to do similar things in a very, very rapidly changing religious environment We've got to find a way to help get Christians working together on evangelism and discipleship for a post-Christian context, which is not something the church has any experience with in its history. Yeah. Um, we have pre-Christian, we have Christendom, but we don't have post-Christian. Now, other parts of the West are more uh, post-Christian than the United States, at least sure. In aggregate, uh, certain parts of the United States, obviously, the much of the East Coast, especially the Northeast and the Northwest, I mean, they definitely are a lot like Europe, uh, Northern Europe, especially. But um, uh, so the idea is simply we've got to get people working together in politics, in the marketplace, in the academy, in the yeah. church to address this fact that 40 million Americans have left the church in the last 25 years. That's and right. everything that we are seeing the massive transformations that we're seeing in the electorate, um, both parties in different ways, but both parties. And I mean, all of this is affected by that transformation in religion. So got to get people working on that together. And, um, and we've got to develop faithful apologetic messages that both appeal to non-Christians in a thoroughly secular context. And at the same time, help disciple our own young people and our church yes. to be able to flourish as Christians in those environments. So that's the basic idea. We don't know how much longer Tim's going to be with us. We would love it if the Lord raised up another Tim Keller for the next generation, but it'd be better if we all learned together how to, not to repeat what Tim did, but to think the ways that he has been thinking 
and learn to apply it for our own generation. So that's the basic idea. And um, as uh, one of the legacy ministry, ministries that Tim Keller founded, this is what we've wanted to do to, to honor him and honor that contribution and to further solidify our intent to maintain a posture of focus on or maintain a focus on evangelism and discipleship, but especially in the context of a increasingly post-Christian era. I mean, I just think about this, guys. Um, the the Our foundation documents, our Theological Vision for Ministry at the Gospel Coalition, was adopted, was written and drafted originally by Tim Keller and written in 2007. Yeah. Um, in many ways, that thing is still perfectly true, but we keep coming back to this. How much has changed since 2007? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a bit. <laughs> yeah, so sure. We've got to we got to keep rethinking these things. Not because we're going to have a different gospel, but right? Because just like we've been talking about in this discussion, contextualized in new and necessary ways for the 21st century. Yeah. Well, hey, I am so excited about this book. It is uh, published. It's out in the world. People can yeah. uh, uh, buy it at their favorite bookstore. And I'm excited mm-hmm. about the work you're doing at TGC and at the Keller Center. Uh, and I just hope that this book blesses folks as they get to learn more about the influences that shaped Tim. Um, and it's a legacy uh, worth many people uh, sort of yeah. carrying what they can uh, uh, of it uh, for all the fruit that it uh, it's it's born over the over the years. Uh, so, Colin, thank you so much for being being thank with you. us. Really glad to have you. Oh, I just love doing this with friends. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Colin Hansen. I'm excited for uh, so many people to read uh, the biography, and I'm also just excited about Colin and the work he's doing at the Gospel Coalition. He's a he's a great guy. But uh, that's that's the episode. Again, we'll be back this weekend, uh, Melissa. We do right bef- just before we head out. We do want to tell folks about uh, an opportunity and, and really just uh, a way that they could help us. Uh, can, can you brief them? Yes. Thanks for listening. And we always love hearing from you. So we have a survey link in the show notes. And we would love it if you filled out the survey. It will tell us how we're doing. And it will let us know how you're doing, which we would love to know to get to know you better. So please fill it out. And one one respondent will win a copy of Michael's recla- book, Reclaiming Hope, and the book, Compa- Compassion and Conviction, which Michael co-authored with Justin Gibbity and Chris Butler. So go and fill it out in the show notes. Uh, Greatly appreciate it. All right, friends. That's all we have for you. We'll be back this weekend. Uh, But this has been Where We Are. Bye.